I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Peter Moran. And you're tuned in to listen to our podcast. Listen to our podcast or we'll run you through the digitizer. Hey, Peter. Hey, Aaron. How are you doing tonight? It is going pretty well. I, actually, I'm a little sad. Feels a little lonely. Huh. Um, what for? I, I like you quite a bit, Peter, but, you know, I just kind of miss Zach. Oh, yeah, I'm kind of, uh, I've been told by every person that's been close to me that I'm kind of underwhelming, so thank you. Well, now, now it's gotten really sad. So, <laughs> let's, let's like, end this bit you're, before. You're all right, but I, what about the, the last guy? Yeah, <laughs> um, I just, I just like threesomes. I don't know what to tell you. I didn't know I was a threesome guy. I thought I was good, you know, just being a one-on-one uh, podcast recorder. Uh, turns out I like to mix it up a bit. <laughs> just keep keep it fresh, you know. After yeah. you know, f- after two months in the podcast game, we gotta keep this relationship fresh. Gotta keep it fresh. You gotta bring other people. Uh, just in, just like with all relationships, um, you you should do that. You know, bring other dogs into your family. Bring, uh, you know, make get, make new parents at some point. Like have. Someone new in your life that you consider uh, your dad going forward. Uh, say, you know, to your, your real dad, say it's been great. But, you know, I just need someone else to take away uh, my properties as punishment from now on. And, you know, uh, you can't, he didn't get to pick you and you didn't get to pick him. So uh, who's to say that uh, two people just drawn out of a hat would be perfect for each other, you know? It's like, I need a new dad, and this one is going to be Japanese. Yeah, uh, my dad did. And he'll teach me kung fu. I should say. Uh, just, what? Just so everyone's away. Yeah, he went to one of those baby auctions. Um, so, oh. I mean, he didn't He didn't fully get to pick me. Um, you know, there is, there's pricing concerns. Like, there were babies that were much better than me. They could do tons of things that were way outside of his price range. Um, so, it's good to be it's frugal not like, your baby you know, choices. But, but, yeah. So from a but you know, as 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 with everything in life, you're limited by what you can spend. So, he, but he still picked me out of you know f- at least five other babies in the three hundred to four hundred dollar range. <laughs> the, the the budget range, I would I would probably say it it was it was per it was it was it was per month. Well, was it so? I mean, for I guess two months. There's a difference between a baby that you have where you uh, you go to a black tie event and you're in a room with marbled floors and and leather bound chairs and you're served cocktails and they they bring out the babies. There's there's events like that and then there's yours where your dad apparently saw a coupon in a Memorial Day sale and was like, I'll go pick a baby up this weekend. It wasn't even Memorial Day. It was Flag Day. It was pretty flag sad. Day, those Flag Day sales, yeah. they're uh, they'll get you. You don't, yeah. You don't even get really get good sales. But you know, again, um, he he picked me, and that's why sometimes you have to go and say to your dad, "I, I need a new one for a little bit." Yeah, and also with you for for your dad, uh, it's like the can rule in grocery stores. He got a little bit off because you'd been dropped a few times. Yeah, I had a few dents, um, little dings. You know. I was pretty close to my expiration date, as all babies get, um, at some point. Uh, in this, in this, in this particular instance, expiration date means becoming a toddler, uh, not, uh, not, not getting exposed to so many germs uh, that they don't make it. Um, so, on that weird, really weird note, um, 
<laughs> we we are going to be talking about a movie today, not baby auctions. Um, I almost wish the baby auctions were somehow tonally related to the movie, but they're not at all. Um, Let's do three, two, one, and we'll just say whatever movie we watched on uh, the past couple days, and we'll see if we watched the same movie. Do you want to do that? Yep. Yep. Three, two, one. Two, Porky's and one. Phase Four. My home movies and Phase Four. <laughs> Nailed it. Um, yeah, so we both watched. I mean, we could talk about your home movies. Do you want to talk? Want to talk about your home movies? Maybe. Yeah, or? but it's just it's just basically me watching Phase Four. <laughs> I'm meta. All right, let's talk about let's talk about Phase Four, the movie we watched this week, um, which is a uh, <clears throat> it's a killer ant movie that is unlike any any killer ant movie you would expect. It is nothing like the movie Them. It is nothing like uh, I don't know what you expect out of a killer ant movie, but it's not fucking like it. <laughs> Yeah, it's well, it's a it's a weird creature feature where the creatures uh, use it's a battle of wits with the creatures not being attacked or eaten by them. Although, of course, that happens. And the other reason that this movie is really unique is that it is uh, directed by Saul Bass, the famous opening credits designer, poster designer. But this is the only movie that he directed. Um, yeah. he, made, he made title sequences and posters. But what he really wanted was to kill insects and not get judged for it. <laughs> <laughs> and so he it made is, this movie. It doesn't really seem to be something that's, that makes super sense for Saul Bass uh, from, if you're judging from his Hitchcock uh, opening titles or the opening titles he did for a couple of Scorsese movies, notably uh, notably the one for Casino. He does a lot of uh, silhouette work and yeah, he, he's, he's famous for spicing up those kind of dreary opening title sequences that a lot of movies had. And yeah, Hitchcock worked with him a bunch. And it's not immediately apparent what part of this movie would appeal to him on a visual sense until way late in the movie. And not even in the main movie. In the movie plus the original director's cut ending, which is not in the, in the version that I watched. I had to watch it separately. We'll talk about that. That makes more sense yep. than all best movie. Yeah, I had I had seen this movie previously and didn't even really know about the ending until I started doing research. And I really liked the movie the first time I saw it. But it, you're right. It didn't make sense as a Saul Bass movie. It's like, OK, well, this is, you know, an interesting one off. This is an interesting one off movie for a director to make. It was it was good. It was interesting. It was unlike any other movie I'd ever seen. It was unlike any other creature feature, but it didn't feel Saul Bassy really. Then I saw the original ending. It was like. Okay, all of this makes way more sense. This real that really was the missing piece of the puzzle. But we're going to get into that a little bit later. Uh, first, we're going to start with our patented not talking about the thing that you're here to listen to before before we start talking about the movie. So I'd actually like to start this time, Peter. And I don't. I we've done a lot of quizzes lately, and I gotta say, I think it's time for a another quiz. I think you're going to like it. It's just a kind of quiz where you know there's no right or wrong answers, but it is for you specifically because <laughs> you know you've really been getting into the games that we've been playing in in a in a you know in a. I think I think it's clear to anyone listening that you know. You take the games that we play very seriously, um, and that's a good thing. We want you to be invested in this podcast. I want you to take what we're doing seriously, but I think probably I've asked this question to myself. I'm sure our audience members have asked this question, uh, and that is, are you taking it maybe a little bit too seriously? And and that's and that's the kind of game we're going to play today, which is 
you know, from a medical website that I found and just answer yes or no to some <laughs> some basic questions in regards to uh, are you maybe a little overly competitive? Yeah, this sounds uh, this sounds great. And it just also sounds like it's uh, another step towards this becoming a uh, mental health podcast. And uh, I'm all for that. I don't really like movies. I love talking about self-examination, though. Yeah, I cannot stress that this is pretty official. This is from a real medical website. Um, so let's is it called realmedicalwebsite.com? It, it might as well be. We can talk about the website later. Um, I, I don't want to get into that. It does have a lot of pictures, which is all real medical websites. Uh, have pictures and captions. Um, so the first thing I'm going to ask you, true or false, everything is a competition to you regardless if anyone else knows it. True or false, Peter? For one point. <laughs> you just have to answer. True. True. Okay, that's one point. That's very helpful. Thank you so much. Um, the second question, in college, you were always sober during beer pong, so the alcohol wouldn't affect your game. True or false, Peter? <laughs> False. Okay, that's another point. Great job. You're answering all these questions very well. Just you're doing an excellent job. I cannot. You are beating me at this game. I cannot stress that enough. Um, <laughs> I need to know. Now, this is again from a real medical website. Uh, you speed and weave through traffic, even though you're not in a hurry, because true or false? Uh, false. False. That's very helpful. Thank you so much. Again, another point for you. That's three points for answering three questions. Um, now, from this real... Have you heard of this medical website, BuzzFeed.com? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It sounds familiar. I mean, I don't tend to be on the internet a lot, but uh, it sounds like a real a real medical website, and I, I, I don't see why you'd actually have to go to a real doctor for any of this. Yeah, well, so. yeah, and buzzing is a sound that you hear in your ears. And as everyone knows, ears are part of your body, which is uh, science. Yeah, so I, you know. Um, so I, I should tell you, the, the name of this this scientific quiz is called 20, 21 Secrets Overly Competitive People Will Never Tell You uh, <laughs> Because They Can't Hear You Over All the Winning. Um, <laughs> it, it seems pretty scientific to me. The beer pong question was accompanied with a, with a gif. Of Jimmy of Fallon, so so uh, I mean, <laughs> that's doctor stuff right there. Um, <laughs> so one one last question, uh, and again, you'll get a point for this no matter what, uh, as long as you answer it truthfully and honestly. Your version of hell is being surrounded by constant game over screens. False. False. Okay, that's another point. That's four points for you, Peter. And I should say the accompanying picture uh, with this particular uh, quiz. Scientific question uh, is content unavailable, which I think is an interesting <laughs> metaphor. <laughs> that uh, the content is truly unavailable for some people. <laughs> so, Peter, you scored four points. Did I win? They don't say what the points mean. I'm not even sure it's a quiz. It may just be bullet points that describe people sometimes. So, I think you won by participating. I think that's the important thing, and you know, we'll let we'll let our listeners decide what they think this means. So now that we've determined that I'm not competitive, it means you can't give me shit about it anymore, right? So I've won at the game of you giving me shit. Let me check to see if this is on the quiz. <laughs> what's, what's happening right now? This reminds oh. me of, this is a quiz. It reminds me of the, like, in a, like a WebMD, uh, are you depressed quiz? Because if you're taking the quiz, you're probably depressed. 
<laughs> yeah. Or like, uh, or, or, or slightly less serious. I once took a, uh, are you a basic bitch, uh, quiz, uh, on Buzzfeed. And the first question should be, are you taking this quiz? And then quiz over. You are a basic bitch. <laughs> I, I feel like elite people don't take quizzes on Buzzfeed like that. I think that yeah, should, I, would... I think that should reroute to the WebMD are you depressed quiz if you're taking <laughs> if you're taking a BuzzFeed quiz that asks if you're a basic bitch <laughs> like at the end when you get your results it's like WebMD are you depressed I have a game for us to play today and it's called Anti Up and it's called Anti Up because uh, it's a game and there's ants in the word anti I didn't come up with a way for you to bet at all, so it's just a single pun going well, on. Well, I'm, I'm glad one of us is doing something even tangentially related to the movie this week. I, I should say I did have an idea for uh, a quiz called Saul Bass or uh, Chilean Sea Bass. I would give you facts about either Saul Bass or Chilean Sea Bass, and you were going to have to guess. Uh, but I scrapped that for being the dumbest thing I've ever thought of in my life. Uh, I think it's genius for how stupid it is. Well, yeah, we didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's better that you just told me the concept for it. I think we can let our minds kind of roam and yeah, it's explore good. Well, the concept. Well, and if we ever do another Saul Bass movie, we could always use it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's best unexplored. Yeah. <laughs> if you ever, <laughs> another movie that Saul Bass has directed, we could do that same concept. <laughs> Oh, awesome. Yeah, just any other movie that, that Saul Bass has directed. Just pick one out of a hat. Yep. Oh, shit, I got phase four. <laughs> well, just to make it fair, why don't you put that same card back in the hat and then draw again? Okay. Ready? Close my eyes. I got I got phase four. I got phase four again. You got phase four again? <laughs> I guess we'll just have to do it for this episode. All right, so for my game, Ante Up, I'm going to give you some uh, ant facts, and you're going to tell me uh, whether they're true or false. Okay. Okay. I, under- I understand the concept. I don't think you do. Um, <laughs> so first question. So this is a good one. Ants are capable of carrying objects 50 times their own body weight with their mandibles. I feel like the mandibles. I feel like that's the trick part of the question because I don't. I don't know where they carry stuff. I know they can carry heavy things. I know it's 50 times their body weight. I know that from such comic books as Spider-Man. I'm going to go true. I don't think you're trying to semantically trick me. Yeah. Uh, it also, the way I read it, could, you could clearly tell that I was reading it off of a page. <laughs> uh, it's 50 times their own body weight, which is fucking insane. If you think about it, I totally buy what when we watch this movie, I totally buy the fact that these ants could actually really fucking hurt you if the <laughs> 50 times their body weight, like they could actually, that's a good pinch for how little they are. Yeah. That, that's like if you or I could carry like 50 of us. <laughs> so think, give or take, think about that as an analogy. Like, like you, as you, you're walking around, you're wearing shirts and then, you, then you have to hold 50 of you wearing those same shirts. Yeah. 50 standard Peter units. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot more. That's a lot more than I, I think I could carry. Yeah, I think I could carry max 17 Peter units. That's still um, pretty good. That's, that still seems pretty good. I was doing, I tried to do a pull-up the other day, and it was um, the quickest way to feel depressed about yourself. <laughs> hey, I used to love doing the monkey bars. Let's see if I can do a single pull-up. And then so like, you- little kids are just made a muscle, so I put my niece on it, <laughs> on the pull-up bar, and she was just like, yeah, I'll hang here all day. I don't give a shit. So what you're saying is that you can't even lift one Peter unit? 
I can I I can lift one Peter unit once. <laughs> uh, all right, so ants are the oldest living creature on Earth. Like collectively, as a species. Oh, so they've been around the longest. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm gonna say false because I don't think that's how that is stated when people talk about how old something is. Uh, it's actually true. Ants invented God. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. Uh, because they thought it would be kind of fun to fuck with us. Is this science fact from the scientific website BuzzFeed.com? Is that where you're getting these <laughs> ant facts? It's from the scientific website Ant God. Okay. No, ants lived alongside the dinosaurs was the actual fact, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, it's it's a- good they have that. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's good. I think we can add uh, educational programming to our itunes uh, categories <laughs> it, it, it's just all it's specific to this episode though so someone's gonna get very confused listen to our episode on life force and be like i don't think this is educational at all i don't even think we cracked the mystery of how vampires work within the life force universe let alone uh, anything else about the real world so i'm still not yeah. sure if their real form is uh giant bats or energy yeah or I sexy mean, ladies yeah <laughs> yeah so i have one more question can't wait ants started look- farming long before humans true or false well that's probably true yeah it's too banal to be fake i don't want to read <laughs> unless ants got the idea for farming like five thousand years ago like they're watching <laughs> us and are like hey that's pretty smart see what they're doing <laughs> they're growing their own crops hey carl we can do that. Yeah, Carl's, Carl's like, Carl's, no, 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 too Carl's busy like I can live 50 people. of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, ants didn't invent farming till 5,000 years ago because they were too busy just lifting shit up and being in awe their whole lives. Yep. Well, and the trivia um, is, is that they actually just learned to farm uh, 5,500 years ago. So it was really close. But ants really were, close. Still the, were still the victor. One more question. You just said it was the last one. Yeah, it's a bonus round. This is just a general question. (laughs) I just have general... What are you doing Tuesday? (laughs) I don't know. Spitting some ant facts. (laughs) One more question, and that is, now that we know the ants started farming long before humans, which came first? The ant version of the famous American Gothic painting or the human version? I mean, that's still probably the human version, Peter. Yeah, I, I actually don't know the answer to the question of this because I imagine the ant one would be very small, so we might have just not found it yet. It's true. I mean, we don't know where their museums are. They may have been crushed by a five-year-old boy. Oh, God. No wonder they're so pissed off in Phase 4. Yeah. Ev- every day is like their Library of Alexander going up in flames. <laughs> like <laughs> Bike, and he just, like, crushes their Louvre. Yep. Which, <laughs> which in... Uh, <laughs> In retrospect, probably shouldn't have put their Louvre in the middle of a fucking sidewalk. No, that's a bad place for a Louvre. You, sh- you shouldn't put it there. You gotta go deep tunnels. Deep tunnel Louvre. Deep tunnel Louvre. <laughs> that's the so- sexiest sentence that we've said so far on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, let's write that down. And then we'll say number of podcasts since we've said a sexy sentence. I can't even say say sexy sentence, so I I think we're in a lot of trouble. We're going to rebrand this podcast, Ant Facts. Or sexy sentences, (laughs) but I feel like that's going to require a lot of work. Just phonetically. Yeah, we're going to have to try it out. We're going to have to ask a lot of people. We'll probably do jail time trying to determine (laughs) the sexiest sentences. Um, You know, you got to make sacrifices for your art, Aaron. I'm I'm making a sacrifice right now listening to Ant Facts. (laughs) No, the game's over. You won? Yeah. <laughs> Our point systems need work. 
Uh, I feel like we, <laughs> like we better to... del- delineated our point systems in previous episodes. Uh, I'd like to apologize to all the listeners for everything you just heard. Um, I don't know what's going to stay in and what's out, but, um, you know, thank you for sticking with us. And actually, this is a perfect segue. Again, always announce your segues. Also, always announce when you bought a segue. Because your neighbors are gonna want to use that shit. So normally oh, we're don't not gonna announce it if you don't want your neighbors to borrow your Segway. Yeah, then you got to keep that shit quiet. We're not normally gonna do this at the beginning of the podcast or near the beginning of the podcast, but uh, I did want to say a very sincere thank you to the people that have been listening and have reviewed our show. Uh, when Peter and I started this a few weeks ago, we talked amongst ourselves and said, you know, if, if if 10 people listen to us a week, that'd be awesome because we just like talking about movies. We love movies. Um, and this, the fact that we've gotten uh, some positive reviews, the fact that uh, there's a lot more people listening, uh, I cannot express more gratitude for for kind of supporting us in that way. And if and um, if you do like what we're doing, and you want to tell friends, uh, you want to review us, you want to uh, do do any of that stuff that kind of helps get our podcast out there, uh, you know, we'd really appreciate that. That we actually got a comment uh, that suggested a movie. And uh, spoiler alert to whoever you are, we we added it to our huge spreadsheet of movies that we're going to do at some point in the future. So it may not be next week, but, you know, if you want to review, if you want to review our podcast, throw a suggestion in there. You know, we want to be talking about movies and doing stuff uh, that you guys want to listen to. So sincere thanks. (laughs) And I had no ending there, but... (laughs) Honestly, I was when Peter when Peter emailed me and said, "Hey, we have reviews." Uh, it kind of made my day. So, thank you so much, everyone. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, Aaron kind of summed it all up, but thank you very much for listening and supporting us. We're very young, so any amount of encouragement that we get is good. Um, and I guess this is a good opportunity to say, if you ever want to write to us. Or uh, let us know like that you really liked an episode, or you have some notes, or you want maybe you want a suggestion for the show, which you know we have a long list and we intend on getting to all of them. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'll be setting up in the I'll be we have a website uh, called listentoourpodcast.com, and I will also be setting up a Twitter handle for easier sort of communication between our audience and. Uh, us so and i'll be maintaining that and watching it the twitter handle every day so and we heard and we heard your and we heard your feedback on the name uh this was going to be a more general (laughs) podcast when we started out we haven't decided uh what we're going to do yet we did talk about just naming it uh renaming it movie 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 but we thought that might seem a little bit uh a little bit sarcastic and maybe taking some genuine feedback in the wrong direction. So <laughs> we're not going to rename it movie, 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 movie. But, you know, it's a valid point. But I do like that you're listening to our podcast. So did the name work? We're still talking about what we're going to change the name to. But we're going to go through a slight rebranding. And that's why I'm not revealing the name of our Twitter handle yet. Because, frankly, the Twitter handle isn't going to be assigned until we figure out our next name. Our next name might be very similar to this one or it might be a little bit different. Um, but we want to make the name of the podcast a little bit more specific. 
Keep in mind, this is our very first podcast. There's no way you don't know that because of uh, <laughs> how, how amateurish our production is at times. So thank you, everyone, for listening. And there'll be more news in the future on, um, yeah, sort of getting in touch with us and where our podcast is going in the future. We'll have big news in a week or two, as well as some uh, guests coming up. Yeah, we're really excited. Um, like I said, we hope that you're liking the podcast. Seems like some of you are. And uh, we... We really have a lot of stuff behind the scenes going on. So we, we can end it there. Uh, I promise that listening to this, we will not be doing these plugs uh, prior to talking about the movie or at the beginning of our show. But um, with a lot of stuff going on and wanting to offer a sincere thanks to everyone that's listening right now, we, we thought it'd be a good way to, to open up before we start talking about killer ants from, well, actually, outer space. Phase four, Salt Bass is phase four today. So we'll do our 90 second uh, recap because this is kind of insane. Peter, do you want to take us through it or should I? Phase four is about there is a cosmic event that happens that kicks off a evolution in ant species. This evolution causes ants to do sort of uh, irregular behaviors. They're not doing anything truly insane for ants. It's just that they are doing the, the things that regular ants would never be motivated to do. Um, they have this super telepathic link and they start forming uh, into covenants with other uh, ant groups you see at the very beginning basically like an assault on precinct 13 intro where all these these rival ants are meeting together their leaders are meeting together to chat and these ants are basically organizing to create chaos for human beings uh, in their destroying homes by boring through uh, you know support beams they're destroying crops they're generally just bothering and harming humans because they're now uh, motivated and organized and fearless they're and voting for Trump they're going through they're essentially going through they, they have this hive mind that is uh, alien almost and there these scientists arrive at the scene these two scientists arrive at the scene to uh, sort of investigate and perhaps try and stop the ant force and we're introduced to a local family living there near the ants and they are told to leave their land and they sort of balk at this but eventually uh, it seems like they're gonna leave but they uh, don't leave soon enough. The ants attack the family at a certain point, and the ant the family flees after the scientists think that they uh, have left the land, and they flee. And then they they eventually run back to the scientists, thinking that you know the scientists will keep them safe from the ants. And the scientists have already started pumping out this anti-ant uh, yellow poison for the ants. Um, and the the two of the members of the family are killed by this poison being sprayed from the scientist's geodesic dome uh, type structure with sprayers on the outside of it. The only one that survives is the young girl of the family. The young girl of the family is brought into the dome and as the movie goes on, the ants seem to be organizing against the humans. They build sort of a reflective surface to keep the, the home hot 
uh, the answer building is sort of 3D structures in, in space, not outer space, but just uh, these these tall mounds of, of collapsed earth. And the scientists, uh, you know, at first destroy some with some grenades and the, the ants sort of see that as all out war. And then they're eventually building these reflective surfaces to heat up the, the dome. And the ants are clearly doing things that ant, normal ants would never do. The scientists are trying to discover why and they start to wage warfare against each other. Uh, the, the scientists are trying to discover the ants weaknesses they're putting them in little experiments they're running data and then one of them the younger one tries to communicate with the ants through mathematics and signals the older scientist gets bitten by an ant and begins to go a little bit mad with pain and anger at the the ants and he seems to see the apocalyptic visions that that these ants could provide on human race and the and then the old man eventually freaks out and leaves the dome and he uh, is falls into an ant an ant's trap a hole in the ground that ants have built and the ants devour him. The young guy goes off with a poison canister to go try and kill the queen ant. And having failed at that task, he finds the girl who has also left the, the structure on her own. He finds the girl and her and him are essentially brought into the, the this revelation at the ants, what the ants' purpose is. And what the ants want isn't necessarily destruction of the human race, but they want the human race to be welcomed into their new world, wherein ants are power players. And I, th- <laughs> that's my best interpretation of the last 10 minutes of the movie. Well, so, and you're kind of describing the added, and we'll, we'll get to that more, you're kind of describing the added... Uh, director's cut version of this because basically the way the actual the the way the movie ends now even the new blu-ray that was released just last year that doesn't have this director's cut ending so unless you go on youtube and see a version of someone uh that filmed it during the 2012 theatrical showings that they did with this alternate ending included you haven't seen this. So it really ends with just uh, they find the girl. The humans are like, we don't know what they want, but I guess we'll find out. And then the sun. And that's it. It is a little strange. The ending is super strange. And then the ending becomes more impressionistic and surreal and strange. It uses more overlays of the characters' faces. And it feels more and these sort of cool transition effects and it feels more like what you would imagine a Saul Bass movie to be. This is a movie very much like a like a marathon man. The the core concept is ridiculous, but the execution really really makes a, a sobering telling of this story. And Yeah, I was I was going to say that I think we're going to have a little bit of trouble with this podcast to be honest because now hopefully you've seen the movie But if you haven't seen the movie, or you saw it years ago and don't remember, I think the problem that you're going to have with this podcast today is that everything that we describe is going to sound just just us running down what happens or scenes we talk about or bigger themes. It's going to sound like we're fucking making fun of this movie. I don't just an accurate retelling of what occurs sounds like you're making a joke about the movie because it is it's insane. It's an insane concept. It's an insane like. Who does a creature feature where it's a battle of wits? Who does it with ants that are just ants? Uh, who focuses on like this weird clinical science? It's it's not a movie that's been done a lot before, but it is very unique and it is very good. But again, describing scenes from it is going to sound 
Like, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. So yeah, it's got a masterful execution that will make it seem like when I, like when I told my girlfriend that we were going to be watching a movie about ants, she was she I think she expected some sort of like mystery science theater three thousand schlock fest. And if you're expecting that, you're going to be bored out of your fucking mind because it's not funny. Uh, I mean, I guess if you have a sort of ironic, detached hipster attitude about everything, then it's funny. But it's not funny, really. It's taken on very soberly. A lot of that is a defense mechanism against the laughter that the movie takes itself very seriously so that it's not as funny, which I guess a lot of people do find funnier. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because you know that Mystery Science Theater 3000 did this movie, right? They did? Yeah. How? It must they, be a boring well, episode. I mean, they're really funny. They're really, really fucking funny. But like, I haven't seen it because it's. Uh, but I saw it on YouTube when I was trying to find the ending because it was in their uh, KTMA days before they were picked uh, up by Comedy Central when they could basically use whatever was in this local affiliate in Minnesota's vault. So, but, but it they is did on lots YouTube. of good movies too. Then I mean, movies that they considered good in the KTMA days, right? Like. They, Not really. They just did whatever they could get their hands on, I thought. Essentially. And this was a kill- – so I haven't seen the episode. I actually – I wish when I saw it that I'd had a chance or had time because I'm like, oh, I, I didn't know they did this movie. That's kind of insane. Um, now, my guess is, is that they did have a hard time with it because the one KTMA episode I saw – was not very funny. But again, much like early episodes of this podcast, uh, we hope to get better. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, it, it does suffer a little bit from that early episode uh, thing. The one, the one KTMA episode I saw. I don't know how Phase 4 uh, works as a Mystery Science Theater 3000 episode, but I am very curious. So maybe maybe we'll have a new segment called Let's Report Back. And and I'll watch it and we'll talk about it. Yeah, because I I, uh, I didn't know that. I would have considered watching part of it with it. But honestly, I really... I was really creeped out by parts of this movie. Yeah. Some of that has to be like insectophobia. I mean, I'm not really creeped out by ants or most insects. Uh, I've gotten over a lot of spider stuff even. And this movie made me very uncomfortable because it has the... I guess we should discuss how the first... The first like... I don't know how many minutes of the movie. It feels like 15 minutes of the movie and no people in it. When a truck finally pulls up, pulls up at a farm, and we're looking at something that's in uh, a full um, magnification, it's not. It's in like a wide shot. When we finally see a truck pull up on the farm, it's sort of startling because we've been looking at these these ants in almost pornographic closeness yep. for so and long. They, and they hired a nature photographer to shoot these scenes. This is good for 2016, and this was 1974. And I should say, my my uh, my wife didn't watch this with us. But um, she came in to the movie about two minutes late. It was after the part where the ants have received a signal from space that makes them smart. That's very important to know because my wife, for a couple minutes, thought this was a documentary. Uh, but And she was like, wait a sec, the ants have all joined together? She thought I was just watching a 2016 documentary because, A, <laughs> that could actually happen. Like, if ants work together, it would be very bad for our civilization because they're very species-separated in, in real life. And the fact that the cinematography was so good that it was unrecognizable to her from a film that would have been shot 42 years later. 
Yeah, it reminds me of this movie. I don't really remember it super well, but the, I remember this much of it. This movie called uh, Wild Blue Yonder, which is a Herzog movie. It reminded me of that. It, it's sort of blending photography of nature with a science fiction plot, which in Wild Blue Yonder is about underseas creatures and such in the, in the Antarctic. In this movie, it's about the subterranean world of ants and how both of those to our eyes, especially blown up to a movie screen sized projection, both of those can seem really alien even though they're completely terranian and the interesting thing about this movie is it specifically says that there's some sort of cosmic or alien influence on the ants to get them to change their behavior um but the the creepy thing about the movie is that it's it's basically saying the ants were always capable of this they just needed to alter their motivation yeah they Um, essentially just needed a leader they just need someone to unite unite the ants against us. And that's true. Anything that you see in the movie, minus some of the very ending parts, you know, it's all capable of ants in theory to do. They could they could build perfect geometric structures. Uh, they could they could do all that stuff. There's there's nothing there's nothing far fetched about their actions. Now this might be a good time to discuss, and I was I was gonna mention it later, but might as well talk about it now. The one thing I was never clear of if this because they just called a signal from space. Were the ants touched by some alien presence and affected that way, say 2001 uh, Black Monolith style? Or were, or was the point of the movie that there was always aliens controlling the ants? Because they have some other references to that they, the ants may just be like the way that the aliens are taking over the Earth. That the ants are not just ants with a new unified front, but they are just essentially now pawns for some sort of alien civilization who is using the most convoluted way possible to take over Earth. I think it's more interesting with the ending. Once the humans are completely stripped of their defenses and they're completely vulnerable to the ants, what do the ants do? The ants don't kill the humans. The ants decide to take them in almost. It's specifically these two characters, the young woman and the young man. And so I think that leans more towards that a signal was sent through space and It could be an intentional signal that this is essentially, yeah, like the monoliths in 2001, this was a well-meaning outreach from a superior civilization that chose to let uh, human beings in on the conversation. But one of the things that the movie stresses later is that the ants are using this common language of mathematics, all advanced civilizations use their languages physically change but they use this core language of mathematics and my guess the signal was sent in such a way that it can be interpreted by multiple species and that the ants picked up the signal not us the signal could have been intended for us could have been intended for bears which would have been a much scarier movie maybe (laughs) um (laughs) <laughs> but it, I think that I think that the aliens were sent, and, and the aliens, the, the ants do build actual monoliths. So it does kind of imply that like they're in the thrall of this alien evolution. Yeah, because they do return back to it at some point where one of the scientists is like, "I think something's controlling these ants." So I wasn't clear. I think either way it works because that's such a side part to the movie. But you did touch on something that we should also talk about as a bigger theme, which is. Uh, yeah, humans don't come off looking very good in this movie. Like, it does, it does very much seem like, yeah, these ants are more benevolent. They have their, they have their shit together. Because the first thing that we see that one of the human scientists does, the Australian guy, 
uh, the older the older scientist is he wants to you know do some experiments and see how the ants will, will react. So uh, like all good scientists, he takes a grenade launcher and fucking blows up all of their structures and then goes, yeah, okay, well, let's see what this does. Um, which is kind of an insane like he didn't just blow up one he didn't knock it over he just sat there cigarette in his mouth and was taking pot shots until he took down all of their perfectly uh, perfectly shaped uh, mounds yeah who is this Sylvester Stallone style scientist <laughs> like he, he's he, or Yosemite he, Sam <laughs> I mean this is like even if he doesn't realize it's an alien civilization he should realize, as an expert in ants, that this is something that has never been done before. That's 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 a weird thing that I think is kind of a flaw in the movie, is that he should blow up the towers later in the movie once he realizes yeah. that they're a threat, right? He yeah, shouldn't just come in and be like... the thing he does. He, like, who, why did he need a grenade launcher in the first place? Hey, we're going to go study some ants. Well, bring the grenade launcher. That's that's the fir- <laughs> right. as a scientist, that is the first supply you should bring with you. That's why I lo- it's like reminds me of Archer when he's trying to check out weapons from the uh the, the armory and the guys like you've been permitted for one handgun for this mission and Archer's like, "Well, what about the rocket launcher? What about the assault rifle?" Like it's like <laughs> you, they came fully equipped with all this this gear, this like space age geodesic dome where all their gear fits inside a generator, these spraying cannons, like they came with so much shit. And then also a grenade launcher. Well, and they didn't bring any other weapons because later on when they think they're going to have to fight their way out, um, they, they have a conversation about what weapons to bring for their fight against the ants, I should say. And they're like, well, you used all the grenades. For the grenade launcher. Um, so, like, they didn't bring, like, a handgun and a rifle. And, you know, here's... Let's let's bring an arsenal. It's like, no, just just the grenade launcher should be fine. But let's only bring enough grenades so that on one of my drunken blow-em-up times, I take out <laughs> all the anthills and then just leave none. Because that's what he did. If they were out of grenades, that means that not only did he... I mean, he could have knocked them down with his fucking hand. They're made of dirt. So not only <laughs> so not only did he decide I need to knock down all the ant hills as my first thing that I'm going to do to study the ants, but also I I'm going to use all the grenades for the grenade launcher that I brought for protection. It, it is one of those things where it's like shouldn't these ant hills yeah either be knocked down as a and I don't like always playing the uh, what should this movie have done specifically different because I actually did really really like this movie, but yeah the ant hills should have been knocked down or the ant tower should have been knocked down either as a later malicious sort of pathetic move where the like the younger guys like where the hell are you going with the grenade launcher and the older guys like i need to take them out uh or it should have happened as an accident when the uh the farm couple is returning to the trying to come to the dome they should have like banged in the towers or something like i just think I, i'm not saying the movie should have done different because that's how science was in the 70s it's just different from our from our time like yeah, we're not yeah, used yeah, to yeah. that we're kind of science but that that's what science was in the 70s our standards are just different yeah that's how they that's how they learned about whales they just threw grenades in the ocean and then whales would come <laughs> up they'd say hi and they're like these are friendly oh got it you guys don't like grenades <laughs> Yeah, in the in the 80s, they studied things by giving everything cocaine. So, you know, it, just, <laughs> it just depends on the era. What we're, we're saying right now, kind of like you said, is going to make the movie seem really silly. But I think the movie takes 
a concept that might seem a little bit silly and takes it super, super seriously and executes it more or less without any tongue-in-cheekness. And I don't think it's laughable in any sense. And one of the things that I think it does really well is it nails scope. Yep. Uh, how much the how much power the ants have, the size of the people, the size of the ants, and one of the one of the early scenes happens is there's a scene where the ants eat an entire crop circle. It's pretty cool because they're just showing the the scientists walking around at a crop circle, and they discover a dead lamb with these two or three drill marks in its neck, essentially, and and they found out that. Uh, these ants, we find out that these ants uh, are capable of killing mammals much larger than them and will do so in an organized fashion. So these perfect little, they bore these perfect little circles, the lamb's neck to kill it. And then the next shot is a wide shot of showing how big that crop circle is because before it just looked like a clearing and it really helps to, without true camera trickery, it makes the ants uh, influence on the movie explode out and it makes the, the humans look very small in comparison to what the ants can do. And that that was a really, that's a really creepy reveal and the movie's good at, at those moments where you're like, when they're mobilized, it doesn't matter that they're smaller. Yeah, and even the parts with that character using grenades to blow up the ants, we can laugh at the concept, but in the movie it works. And the reason that it works is that they have a nice narration at the opening where the younger scientists kind of describes what was going to happen when he agreed to go on this research mission. And you don't really piece it together, but essentially the Earth as a whole was not necessarily at this point in the movie on board with the idea that these ants were joining together, that there was an alien message that was involved in their mobilization, that the the ants were now working together. So he is kind of, from the beginning, portrayed as someone that's kind of on the edge of sanity, which makes sense because... Um, which, which makes sense because he's the one who almost immediately was like, hey, there's a lot of fucked up stuff going on. Maybe the ants are all working together. Maybe we're doing this. So this... This isn't this movie isn't set at the at the onset as a movie where the whole world is worried about ants. These are lone scientists, you know, they're they're the they're the only right man in the village who knows the truth. So that that character always has a sense of insanity to him. So yeah, you really shouldn't do science by blowing up stuff. But it fits well with the character, and from the movie's perspective, it's a fact. Yeah, they're both a little bit on the edge because people aren't taking their research seriously. Even the younger guy doesn't seem to take it super seriously. He yeah, says he's a numbers yeah, he guy. Says that, he says that he signed up. Yeah, the younger guy and says that he signed up just to get some science in the sun. So yeah, he he was just like, which again, they're kind of just in a cornfield. So I mean, yeah. Go study some dolphins, maybe. But, you know, he, he was already, yeah, he was already studying, what was it, killer whales? Yeah, so even, even though the so even though the older one is kind of on the brink of insanity, and, and that's how he's able to connect all these dots, even the younger one thinks that this is kind of nonsense until he starts noticing that the ants are communicating. And, and again, the shapes. What this movie does teach, if anything, and I, I do not mean this as a joke, that an, anything, person, animal that can draw a perfect shape is creepy. Like, if you can yeah. draw a perfect circle or a perfect square, um, and again, I do not mean this as a joke. It is presented in the movie, and, like, chills run down your back because 
I don't think we're meant as humans to see a perfectly drawn shape. I don't know why shapes scare me, but it, this is going to be very difficult to explain uh, to my daughter someday when I won't let her draw squares. It, it is interesting because there's these um, perfect spheres that they found in, uh, I believe, like Bosnia and Herzegovina area. Uh, they found these, found these perfect spheres um, made of metal and they're eerie when they dig them out of the ground because they're way older than they should be and they're curious how the hell these were ever formed. There's other stone circles that have been found around the, the earth too and not even from a conspiracy theory like aliens drop them type thing. It's curious because they're like, how were they mathematically able to create these with our understanding of their capabilities as a civilization. The whole movie is basically fighting a uphill battle that I think it does, it fights admirably, an uphill battle to try and make ants scary to us. And one of the things they can do is say like, well, we understood them as just bugs and now they're capable of performing these, these advanced mathematical maneuvers, these advanced architectural maneuvers, these organizational maneuvers. The movie spends a lot of time pulling that off. And like like I said earlier, our team isn't like at the beginning of like a Michael Crichton b- book or movie, like the Andromeda Strain or Sphere or Jurassic Park. Where yeah, they they're, the- not, they're not decrying global warming. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, a Michael Crichton book. Yeah, it's not like Jurassic Park or the Andromeda Strain or one of those Michael Crichton books where – this team of experts comes in and they're, they know the threat and they are educated in how to handle that threat and they're going to do their best to put it down uh, or, you know, just study it to the best of man's ability. Instead, it's, it's one dude who's very committed and kind of going off the rails and one dude who's very, very smart but needs, uh, needs a little push to get committed. <laughs> And a girl who just hates ants because the ants ate her horse. Do we mention well, ants uh, start attacking her, of her horse? And her family. Yeah, that's true. Like most of the horse, though. Concerned. They were old. So <laughs> if, they, if, they, if they weren't going to die from pesticides and ants, they were going to die from something. The other thing, though, that you know, and this is going to kind of speak to my home ownership. Here, here's what's funny watching this movie. So the last time I watched this movie, I didn't own a home. Now I own a home. And my home has had an ant problem. So not a huge one. And so much so that we called like an exterminator who's now going to come to our house once every three months to try to manage potential ants. So when they are besieged. So to me as a homeowner, um, ants are not that hard to make scary. And this movie kills it because it really was like, yeah, they get in there and you just can't stop them. And how do you how do you stop them? They're too small. They're, they're everywhere. You go outside, there's anthills everywhere. Uh, that that feeling that happens in this movie, and we'll, we'll talk about some of these scenes more specifically, but that feeling that happens in this movie where how do you stop all these times? Like, they feel overpowered and unprepared very quickly against the ants. And that fear is palpable the first time I saw this movie. The second time, it was like, oh, like I was getting stressed out watching it because I knew – that how, how do you stop this? Even the exterminators don't really know. And these aren't even super intelligent touched ants. It's just like, well, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to come back every three months. We're going to monitor it. So the idea of ants just invading your life and never going away and 
getting into every little crack and crevice that you couldn't plan for feels very real. And this movie knows that and exploits it amazazingly well. Yeah, we're having uh, we're having ant problems as well right now. It's that time of year, and they are the fucking worst because yeah, once they get a good foothold, it doesn't matter how many traps you put out. It doesn't matter uh, how much Windex you spray. It doesn't matter what happens; they'll go away. Wait, for wait, a hold on. Day. Let's let's back up. What what Windex method are you using for ants? Uh oh. So I use I use the, some traps. I attach them. They're coming in through our door from the hallway of our apartment. Uh, helps use and Windex to spray certain areas, and I, I was told that that keeps them at bay because it's poison to them. So you can spray Windex like in the cracks. And that'll stop them for, you know, a little bit of time. I was using it mostly, like, while I was getting my traps out. I've got some bad news for you. That is a rumor that's been spread by ants. They, <laughs> love, it. they love Windex. Oh, is Windex, like, antroids? It is. And you've, you've fallen for their... They have a great propaganda wing, uh, but you've fallen for their trap. <laughs> is, is Phase 4 a failure of their propaganda wing? Because Phase well, 4 makes ants a lot scarier than they are? You should have been super suspicious when you moved into Phase Four uh, apartment. <laughs> oh no! And at least okay, so at least our, our ants are like they're little they're little guys, but they're just annoying and kind of gross. So like we've gotten to the point where I have a bar near I have a little bar near our uh, front door because that's how apartments work. You just put stuff in weird places. Yep, got it. Apartments. <laughs> like we said in previous episodes, if you've never lived in an apartment, what rich person fantasy life do you live? Yeah, uh, fuck you. And, per- yeah, hypothetical fuck you. person. <laughs> hypothetical rich person. Um, or dude who lives in a cabin in the woods. I really don't know how you've avoided it this long. So well, at that at that point they just need to make peace with the ants if you live in true. a cabin in the woods. So now I'm at the point where I put I, I have an ant trap on top of my bar just sitting there because I saw them on top of the bar. And then I also have an ant trap on top of the, the little uh, stand that we put our dog's food bowls into. I just have these like eight, like eight to ten traps that all claim that they're just like this one's legit. I just keep I just keep upping the ante. I had one that's like eh, for a normal game problem. And then you're like the next one's like this is for when you're serious. The next one's like this is the nuclear option. And yeah, none my, of them. No, yeah. they, they still find a way back. My favorite is the uh, my favorite are the ones that are like this won't kill the ant, but it's infected it with a poison that when it goes and talks to the queen, it will kill the queen. It's like some it's like some kick ass assassin shit. It also it also doesn't work. Now, I think actually what we're touching on that's important, though, and that's interesting and why this movie is so good. So right now, Peter and I just had a five-minute conversation about our, our ant problems. And I bet you a lot of people listening have had some sort of... And this movie exploits that feeling of there's nothing I can do. This, this problem is so tiny that it feels massive. I've actually been racking my brain to try to think of... A, like, we have a natural fear of insects. We have a natural fear of bugs. That idea that we could immediately start talking about all the problems we've had... There's a natural fear based on us trying to force civilization in the area where these tiny creatures want to live. And this is the only movie I can think of that exploits that fear very well. That's how amazing this movie is. that It found a concept and it put it in this great science fiction trappings. But it's still the core concept of why this would be scary really hasn't been done that often in movies. 
and, and the movie does a few things which early on when they show you the ants uh the ants teaming up and such it's it's a little funny because you're like ah they're gonna they're gonna overpower us their mass size will be the size of one human um, they're gonna take on the no. bulls yeah exactly but there's a scene where they take on a spider and most people don't have ant phobia they have like arachnophobia there's a scene where the ants are chewing apart the spider and yeah it's really basically the movie being like you think spiders are scary all these ants are just going to take down the spider piece by piece and just tear them to shreds and it's pretty it's pretty uh scary looking and there's some battle scenes with ants that are interesting because they're actually battling and I will say the and they're tearing off limbs like it's a true it's a true melee which is really interesting and uh, later in the movie there's a there's a <laughs> there's a uh, um, what is, what are they uh, not a grasshopper praying, praying mantis. mantis yeah a praying mantis gets killed by ants like it's pretty there's a lot of insect action which sounds really boring at the time but in the context of the movie it really works and the one thing that I'll note is there are some shots of close up shots of ants. Notably the Ant Queen that make me really uncomfortable. Actually, There's, legitimately uncomfortable. Yeah, and that's in the opening scenes to the point that I wasn't even sure I was looking at a queen. I'm like, what is this? Because I've never seen um, that close-up or that good of photography portraying like the kind of disgusting alien tendency. I mean, it looks, you know, it, it's so funny because as I was watching this movie, I started writing down comparisons. And it was like, oh... This this kind of reminds me of Aliens or these this movie the oh my God. movie kind of kind of remind me of, of the Borg from Star Trek because they they adapt to all the pesticides but I basically crossed off all those notes because it's no like the aliens the Borg all these other species are taking these characteristics from ants in general this is not I mean obviously this movie isn't taking stuff from a TV series that aired 15 years later but it's also why those things are so effective is because they're taking these things uh, from from the animal kingdom. And what also was striking to me is that, you know, for so many of these horror-type insect movies, it seems like the producers or whoever's making them, their inclination is to go really big. So you have, you know, them, where you have giant ants, or you have eight-legged freaks, where you have giant spiders. But that's not scary. The, the, the reason that we're, we're scared of ants and bugs in general is because you can't see them or they could be crawling on them and you don't know it we already have giant shit predators that can kill us like we've got sharks we've got bears dinosaurs you know we have those have you, creatures we don't need to I make have a question. spiders have, bigger have you ever been to a zoo and gotten a good look at a lion or a bear really close uh yeah i was in the circus training lions i didn't tell you that for <laughs> 20 30 years I'm 80 years I, old. Oh, I didn't, I didn't hear that. I had no idea. No. So have you ever been to the zoo or seen an yeah. a, like a lion yeah, or a tiger? A lion. Uh, yep. Yeah. So at Lincoln at the Lincoln Park Zoo, um, which is kind of a sad zoo in Chicago because a lot of the animals don't seem to be having a very good time when you're there. Maybe that's all zoos. I don't know. That's, that's um, essentially all zoos. Okay. There's a, a place where you can go. You can go and stand right next to a lion's, lion's den and look through some glass and see the lion. And these lions are just bored. And there's a moment when a lion, a lion will like reach up and start yawning. And it is terrifying. I got actual shivers, cartoon person shivers from this lion um, yawning. Because you can just see that it's putting that much strength into a passive action 
Its jaw is so goddamn powerful. It can do anything it wants. <laughs> and if it really wanted to hurt you, it wouldn't have to do much. Um, and it's and it's in yeah. So we already have these. And obviously, like the Revenant has the bear mauling scene and such. Like there's some that has been portrayed very well on film. These big things tearing you to pieces. The idea of this mass super intelligent horde which i think later in the movie basically they're described similar to the thing where the doctor basically says these ants are acting as individual cells within a wider hole yeah i think so that the was idea- the exact quote i was like like the borg and then i'm like i'm an idiot the <laughs> other way around <laughs> exactly because they can spread out you can smash a hundred of them it doesn't matter you can break a bear's leg you can smash 300 ants, but if they're coming at you, one of these ones specifically will come after you, not normal ones. They'll get to you. You can't get them all. Yeah, and they and they have, um, you know, an inconceivable amount of numbers. Like, you can conceive bears and lions and sharks. Like, if there's 10 bears, that's scarier than one bear. But your mind can comprehend the concept of 10. Your mind cannot comprehend the concept of 10 million. Or twenty minutes. Like if you've ever had, we're gonna we're gonna talk about what kind of like disgusting filth holes I guess we've lived in. But like if you've ever had fruit flies and your plan is to swat them, you can swat f- like fifty of them, and the next day there seems like there's even more fruit flies because that concept of there is more of this than my brain as a human has has evolved to the point to process. That's terrifying. It's not yeah. terrifying when there's 20 giant ants that you can hide in a barrel from. Their mandibles are incredibly strong. 50 times their body, uh, an ant can carry 50 times their body weight in their mandibles. So there's these close-up shots and they see these, you can see these mandibles closing. They actually the mouth on the queen, re- like I couldn't look at the screen. It was so disgusting to watch. It was really uncomfortable for me to watch for some reason. These animals, like even in abstract, up close as individuals are pretty creepy looking. One thing to note is that the, the ants are characters. They do a good job of delineating between different colors, different types. Now, at no point are the are the ants not alien to us. It's not like I understand that's Larry the ant and his job is this. But there's clearly a structure and motivation and like communication scenes. They have a fucking ant funeral at one point in this movie that is one of the creepiest scenes I think I've seen because there's no uh, there's no camp to it. There's no levity to it. And and they don't do it as a quick aside. There's like two minutes of ants lining up ants upside down to mourn their dead in this battle that occurred. Uh, what seems to be a different species of ant even. Yeah, I think the yellow ones are the corpses. And then there's a, a, a black one, a carpenter ant, whatever. Uh, carrying the corpses into these rows, it, it's a moment where you're like, these ants have a sort of civilization going on that's not just about uh, mindless destruction. They're willing to make the sacrifices and then commemorate the dead. But that doesn't mean that they're any less willing to make the sacrifices, which means well, shows a, a very high level of intelligence at like a species intelligence, maybe not individual intelligence, but like a horde intelligence that's that makes it creepier because it's. Yeah. And I think that maybe that goes back to one of our earlier discussion points, and that is maybe this isn't just a simple alien force that's controlling them. If it was just an alien force that was using the ants to take control of our civilization, 
why would they have an ant funeral? Like, there's clearly at there's clearly some level of um, independence among the ants to or intelligence among the ants that they're not just purely intelligent pawns being used by an alien force because that doesn't um, that doesn't fit with the idea that they're just uh, they're just conduits for for the energy or the touch of of some sort of black monolith. Yeah, so the ant funeral, after that, I found something really interesting about that. And that's that the ants have a sort of willingness to push on to either further their evolution, further their ambitions, and they also have a need to survive. They, like, fucked up the lives of the the locals, the farmers, but they also, like, these guys came in and just started blowing up their towers and fucking with them. So, these ants feel like a, they're, they're just defending themselves as mm-hmm. a species, as, like, a, a hive mind. Because there's a farming couple, which I think are really well-drawn, truly three-dimensional characters, the farm couple. Their apprehensions, their fears, their confidences in their own land and everything. It's it's very they're very interesting. They could have just drawn this farm couple as like bumpkins. Instead they drew them as two people that just want the best for their family. And well, the way and, that manifests and, is- and they're buying into what's going on at least enough to make their, their fire moat. But they're not they're not totally dismissive. I mean, they understand that the ants are a threat and they but they, they you know, it's still their house and they're not ready as people are trying to figure out what's going on or if there is a threat to to vacate. So you're, you're right. They're very well drawn for being in this movie for a few minutes before they get ant holes in them. <laughs> exactly. And then they so what they happen is they um, they get actually suffocated by the poison because the geodesic dome has no windows. So they just know how to turn on the poison and then go investigate later, and they're, they're, they have spe- special suits that they think protects them from the ants and to protect them from the poisons and such. They have these special suits, and so they, they when they're inside the dome, they don't know what's going on. So outside, they spray, and they, ended up, they end up accidentally killing with their poison uh, this farm couple. And the older guy, Dr. Ernest D. Hubbs is his name. Uh, Hubbs is the, the crazy old guy. He, he essentially rolls with the fact that they just killed people because to him, the survival of the human race is at stake. So he won't even take a moment to commemorate the, the dead. Whereas James, the younger guy, is like, uh, we just killed two people. <laughs> what are we going to do about it? And it is interesting because they're drawing parallels between us and the ants for the answer. James wants to commemorate the dead at a minimum. Hubs is the one who wants to just push forward in this this quest. And eventually James comes around because they discover Kendra, who's the this young woman, which, by the way, don't love the fact that this girl looks like 17. <laughs> she, she looks like she's 17 and it, it felt... First of all, that's that's a very seventies thing. Like there's there's so many times where you're watching a seventies movie where the male protagonist and his female protagonist love interests, you know, there's an age gap. But it seems to me like in the seventies they're like, let's make that gap so wide we can fit one of our giant seventies cars through it. Oh my god, it is so weird how many of these movies just have these seemingly thirty something young men and these girls that do not look older than seventeen. And I, I don't know if it's just there's there's just a weird 
thing that's happening in the movie where she's sort of supposed to be the romantic interest. Uh, at least that's like the shorthand they're using. It's not really a sexual relationship until the very, very end of the movie. Uh, yeah, and then it's forced on them by the ants. So, you know, <laughs> the ants however, don't care about age of consent laws. So. Yeah. However, however, you determine your sexual relationships that are forcibly started when you become the new Adam and Eve by your aunt overlords. Um, and again, <laughs> that that kind of speaks to the issue that that's that's very effective in the movie. That is exactly what happened, and there's no way for me to say that sentence without laughing or sounding like a lunatic. One of the two. But yeah, again. Don't don't take my laughing for describing what happens as mocking the movie. The movie does it well. Now, again, the movie doesn't do the age of the protagonist well. And when I first saw it, and uh, you know, the whole the whole farm family dies except that she's she kind of staved away in a cellar. And it was kind of like, oh, of course, the 1970s. The good-looking girl has to be a part of this movie. That just feels like an extra tacked-on thing, um, which would be great. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying that. Oh, you can't have good-looking girls in movies, but she doesn't have anything to do except be the damsel in distress and be attractive to the the male lady. Even though you're right, there's not much of a sexual relationship there. Which, despite all the chest hair, I don't know how anyone is keeping their hands <laughs> off these two these two gentlemen. If if she was given more of a character than I I am a good looking girl who is going to at the very least inspire us uh, inspire lust in the audience. You know, it, it, again, it's it's a 42 year old. It's a movie that's 42 years old. There's much worse examples of it, but it's kind of my one demerit uh, for the movie. And she is kind of portrayed as almost mentally unsound even before they come in. She's making eyes at James, which is – I didn't read as like flirty. I read it as like, who's this weird guy talking to my parents or grandparents, my caregivers? Yeah, I, I th- I think you're right. It it did seem more of a like protective who's in my, who's in my area. I don't like I don't like people that are in my space that I'm not aware of. Yeah, and she in her quietness spoke to a, a um, maybe like a mental unsoundness that I uh, I had some trouble with later when they started to warm her up to James. Where like it's it's she's too passive for me to not be a little bit weirded out when she's portrayed as a sexual character which i don't think the movie really has a much of a problem with this i think that at the end i think that this actress is probably supposed to be 18 i think that they accidentally made her seem a little bit young by having her riding a horse and be quiet i think they wanted her to be like a little mysterious and a little shy and instead it came off as her a little young yeah i, I don't it's, think it's this a, is an actual it's a, it's knock a, against the it's a damsel in distress. And it gets a little weirder, too, with the deleted ending where uh, things get much more explicit on what being the... I mean, explicit in a very surreal way. But let's just say I didn't know that you could have nudity on YouTube. Um, <laughs> or in a PG movie. It's, well, I knew a PG rare, movie. Rare Nine, again, yeah. 1970s, man. Yeah, throw rare some naked ladies in there. That's PG. They're just like, yeah, well, whatever. There's a, there's a weird... The weird sexual relationship kind of works when taken in the abstract, the ending, but everything leading up to the ending seems a little too uh, cold and distant to not read as weird to me. They kind of make her stupid because... They do make her stupid. She's watching the monitors that show ants, and she kind of becomes convinced that the ants... The ants are attacking the... She becomes convinced that the ants are attacking the research compound... Because she got away. 
and then answer only only motivated by by pure hate and revenge. And so she <laughs> goes to sacrifice herself. But the way, which would be fine if it was if it was portrayed in in a way like she almost seems like she's going through some sort of mental fits. And that she's not, like, um, in a mental state where she can make that decision. And she's doing it without the input of the other uh, the other two scientists. And it would be – they could have easily made – again, this is the this is the let's put today's uh, versions of what this should be on 42 years ago. Or let's try to improve um, a 40-year-old movie. I'm not saying that, but I, I understand it's a product of its time. But it's still, it's still important to note that this could have been easily solved by her – not seeming like she was scared of her own shadow and in a manic mental state and then just deciding to run off and everyone else kind of being like, well, that was stupid. Why did you do that? Yep, I agree. So do you want to talk about the, before we get to the crazy ending, what we should do is talk about the sort of approach to this movie and its science-ishness. <laughs> I, I, I honestly don't, I'm not, I don't know if I'm a smart enough person to say that this movie has a bunk science but it worked enough for me where they seemed to take the steps to dumb down the science enough where a layman can understand it, but not dumb it down so much that it seemed like they were using some sort of science computer that just did impossible things. The, the inputs were collecting data and then they were sending back data to the ants. Like they were using it as a communication device that I understood. I understand you can I can understood inputting signal and sending out signal. So like on on that level, the science seemed fine to me. Was there anything about it that seemed kind of funky to you? Well, it should be clear that I started this podcast referring to BuzzFeed as a scientific website. So it's very possible that I'm not the best person to <laughs> ask whether this movie portrayed uh, science accurately. I will say that it did it did feel okay. Like it didn't feel too out there. Um, I mean it. It had a lot of the vagueness of how science works that I feel like a lot of 70s science fiction movies have, um, you know, like Silent Running or where it feels like the how stuff worked is less important than how stuff feels. This movie does a great job of really having an icy. I love that icy, that icy version of science where people are doing their jobs and going about their stuff and they're not really explaining it to you. Um, they're doing some clever ways to, to, to help you connect the dots. But it's just scientists with um, little to no emotions going about their business. Now, they're, that's not always the case in this movie because you do have a kind of unhinged scientist character but you know they they still are for the most part especially the younger scientist he's trying to follow the process he's looking at the data i guess the one maybe minor scientific complaint i have is how quick ants were able to build giant reflector mounds out of nowhere but even that feels like that was supremely effective to wake up and all of a sudden there's these obelisks that are, you know, the the sun is hitting them and they have these amazing reflective surfaces and you slowly realize, I should say at first, I thought that those were the solar panels that were powering the research station. And and then as I slowly realized, no, these are not solar panels. These are created by the ants to fry and, and raise the temperature inside the windowless um, station. You know, that all worked really well for me. So I don't really have too much complaints with the science. Again, this kind of fits a tone that I feel is lacking somewhat. Um, I actually think, uh, you know, some, some of this movie actually reminded me a little bit of 
Did you ever see Europa Report? Is that where they go to like a moon of Jupiter? They do, and it's all kind of like a found footage thing, but it's based on the cameras. Oh, where... I liked that. That was a fun. That was a fun found footage experiment, and it seemed it seemed to have like roughly uh, believable science in it. Yeah, and that's another movie where. Well, I don't know how believable the science is, but at least. It portrays the people that are doing this. It's it's not so fantastical that it sounds crazy. It's not, let's take my magic sword and insert into this key slot. Then we shrink the wizard. It's not that kind of science. So while, while it's somewhat... So while the science in that movie may not be the most convincing, what it is is the people that are doing the science in that movie give a convincing enough performance on what they're doing. And that lends a credibility to you watching scientists do their stuff. This felt the same. Yeah, so I think you really hit the nail on the head with the word feels, where I think the whole movie has, up until about the last 10 minutes, has a sort of clinical approach to everything. And not that it feels sterile, like a Cronenberg movie or anything, it has a sort of... um, a staidness and a straightness where it's, it's trying to depict what the characters are doing as, as straight ahead as possible with minimal cheese, minimal melodrama. Um, and, and, and I think that the movie feels like the science works because when they need to explain what's happening for plot reasons, it moves forward. And I think that this is a good point to sort of point out that a lot of people confuse science fiction as something like uh, Star Wars, which is really closer to more fantasy. This is like true science fiction where they're like, they're using technology as a means to either either speak about mankind as a whole, or they're questioning what the future possibilities are for technology. Like this is actually an exploration of where mankind could go and it could mankind commune with an alien species, which this alien species just happens to be a species that we're really familiar with. That's just going through a brand new evolution. So this movie falls firmly in like the science fiction category, whether or not the science of it specifically checks out because it's about smart people utilizing the scientific process whether that's a scientific process that matches up to what we know as actual science they're still going about that in some level of method and i think it's very brave of you to say that um phase four is a better movie than star wars Um, (laughs) i don't particularly feel that way but you know Hot takes are great, Peter, and I'm glad that you were able – I'm glad you felt comfortable enough with that opinion to share it with the group. Yeah, you know, I think if anyone rewound about 30 seconds, 40 seconds, the one thing they would take from that was I was saying that Phase 4 is better than stars. <laughs> but yeah, so the, the movie the movie really – yeah, the movie is concerned with technology and the future of the human race and such. So it falls firmly – in science fiction and it's old school science fiction sort of twilight zone era science fiction which makes it more interesting because it's it seems so full of it's space age science fiction so it seems so full of possibilities the opening segment is planets in orbit and it's sort of showing this cosmic scale makes us feel really small this could play as a companion piece to either 2001 or Alien. I think that it would play, play as a really good companion piece to Alien as this, what happens when when humans are, you know, going nose to nose with a, a, an alien species. And then it also could go to 2001, this cosmic scale, what happens with humans' evolution, what happens with a species' evolution when uh, they're touched by the, 
the effect of some sort of cosmic entity. It's a very good point. Let's talk about the the deleted ending. So again, the ending that we that was originally presented that probably ninety nine percent of anyone who's seen this movie is aware of is the the older scientist has been eaten by ants. Uh, the younger scientist goes with his gas gun is um, to kill ants as he can. He finds a little cave. In that cave, the female, the 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 woman character comes out of the sand like a like a mannequin and looks at him. And then there's a voiceover that says, "Hey, the ants have chosen us for their new Adam and Eve, and we don't know. They weren't trying to hurt us. They wanted us to be a part of their future, and we're a big part of that. We don't know where that's going." And then it's the picture. It's a it's a static shot of the two of them looking at the sun. The original version, which we should say that Saul Bass was furious that the studio cut his version, which makes sense because this movie has no title sequence, which is interesting for a movie that is directed by someone who is most known for his creative title sequences. But it felt like instead it was building to one of the craziest live action scenes that would in other movies double as a um, as an impressionistic title sequence. And then that was excised from the movie. So I don't even know, Peter, if you can describe this scene, like, go nuts, because... <laughs> I'll give it a shot. I watched it twice uh, on YouTube, and which we'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, it is just... It's it's a camcorder version of it, but honestly, I, I think it's a, a, as decent as you're going to get. Um, you get at least what it was... Like, you, you're not going to get the full so, Blu-ray experience, but you're going to go, oh, that changes things quite a bit. <laughs> Yeah, so this is something, this is this is the sort of ending that, yeah, I can see why Saul Bass would be pissed off about it being cut because there's a lot of deliberate visual effects that were completed for this ending. There's no way that it that, that, that this ending didn't require a ton of thought and careful graphic design work and animation work. And this isn't something that he, he just slopped together because he was like, let's make it have a crazy ending. The movie is so conservative with its methods that, you know, it's not about blood and gore. It's not about these fantastical imagery that you would expect. It's it's a pretty straight ahead, uh, thoughtful movie. And then the end of the movie goes kind of batshit and goes a little bit impressionistic. And yeah, I see why he was pissed off despite the fact that, and I defend the ending because it's way more interesting and develops, I think, the core thesis of 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 what the the theatrical ending is which i think the, the if i'm not mistaken i think the theatrical ending and the extended ending are basically saying the same thing which is weird for an ex, which is weird for you know these uh cut these director's cut endings usually the director's cut ending is totally different like blade runner's director cut ending is totally different than the theatrical yeah so it's essentially what happens is is that the two or the man the the new adam and eve of the ant civilization they go down in this hole to try and find the queen and instead they discover each other and through i'm guessing telepathy with the ants they're let in on what the ants plan is for the future of the human race and it appears in a literal sense that they're now they're underground and maybe in a literal sense they're running around through the these mega structures that the ants have built below the earth and there's this great Saul bass like sort of geometric imagery of them running around on the top of this sort of pyramid structure i got the sense and again it's very 
very impressionistic, very surreal. So I don't know if, if there's supposed to be a straight through line for narrative, but I got the sense that those structures that we started seeing the ants create, basically they started creating the infrastructure of the world to kind of mirror, um, you know, basically pyramids and obelisks and columns and that basically the, the human race was adapting into I didn't get the sense that it was underground. It, you could be right, too. I don't entirely understand. I think in a literal sense, that's the cleanest narrative path because the ants wouldn't have time to reshape the world in the time that it took. I don't know. I think essentially. And then so, yeah, the, these two are joined together as Adam and Eve of the new world. And I think they're either supposed to be ambassadors for the human race to discuss their conversation through or something, but regardless, the ants have chosen them to join them together and to usher us into their new world. Whether that's a good world for us or not is hard to say. There's shots of human beings in these sort of cute in these sort of cube-like structures. I don't know if those are supposed to be prisons. They're supposed to be homes. <laughs> See, I got the sense that this deleted or the deleted ending was actually showing phase four. Because it's interesting to note that throughout the movie... It's definitely, but what is Phase 4? <laughs> yeah, because it, it, the movie starts with Phase 1 and then gives Phase 2 and Phase 3. Both movies end with Phase 4, but I kind of got this as the flashing ahead of this is what Phase 4 is. And these are the ants building the world in their image. And then at the very end of the movie is the same shot for both of them. Here's the two of them looking in the sunlight saying, we don't know what the future holds but i think in the that that whole cut sequence that is not that is that is them looking ahead to what phase four entails and what the future holds which is the ants i think that's why there's all those humans in those weird areas of of pyramids and prisons is because that's what's coming yeah maybe i think maybe you're right Maybe it's that they're getting, uh, the human beings are getting an image of what world is to come. And I, the human beings, essentially, James and uh, Kendra. So the human beings, Kendra and James, uh, are essentially shown an image. I think you're right that they're essentially shown an image of the future. Uh, whether it's a good or bad thing, I think even they don't know. Because he essentially says, the, the last line of the movie is essentially him saying, like, I don't know exactly what they have planned for me. Uh, maybe since he doesn't have any of his science gear, he, he doesn't speak ant. Or maybe uh, they're just not telling him. They know how to communicate some of this to him, but not all of it. Maybe they're sending him imagery, but not a more commonly understood language. I don't know. Yeah, I guess because if not, if they're not doing that, then what the fuck is phase four? Because, you know, there was a joke from one of the reviews of this movie. I forget who. That said, well, the movie that they actually want to see is Phase 5. They get to the point where they realize the apocalypse is not happening but about to start. Because these ants have total control. These two, like in most movies, this would be a prologue scene and stretched out over feature length. So there was a there was a comment in some review that was, well, the movie I really want to see is Phase 5 where the ants take over the world. But that's not accurate because that's Phase 4. Phase four is them taking over the world. That's how the movie ends is with the title sequence phase four. Not title sequence, just just the words phase four, which is a really cool way to have the ending. And I, I think why that title, which seems really generic when you hear it, it's, oh, phase four, because it doesn't give any indication of what the movie amount is about. Yeah, it's like if plan you just nine do a straight space. What are, yeah. what are the nine plans? 
Well, at least you know that's from outer space. This is just phase four. If you Google phase four, you're probably going to find some really weird research documents along with information about this movie because it is yeah, very generically titled, but it works so podcast. exactly <laughs> perfect circle back. It does work so well in the context of the movie because it starts with phase one, phase two, phase three. In a weird way, the movie's title spoils the movie in that the the upcoming destruction of the Earth by ants or or upcoming enslavement of the Earth by ants is phase four. Yeah, I I, I believe that. I can't I can't see that this transition to our new ant overlords uh, wouldn't be painful and since ants are known to enslave i could see that but then again they are in ants, prison in that f- potential flash forward yeah but then again we imprison human beings is that just a flash forward to they're going to control us but um are we going to be better off with or without them also is this signal a signal of power through a peace through power like are the ants going to take over and then the we're going to be a lot healthier and safer with them sort of working with us uh, or dominating us or however you want to say it are we going to be better off with them um well humans i mean based on this movie though humans really don't at any point come off well it's not just that they start out by blowing them up but they're seen like greedy and revenge filled and throughout the entire movie and this is kind of the twist is that the ants always knew this research base was there, and they were they were using this research base to conduct experiments on the humans. They were kind of the string pullers in a lot of ways this entire time during the movie, and they actually show a level of benevolence because the only person – because the other humans don't get killed by ants. They get killed by humans, and the only human that they want to kill is the one who has been mercilessly – destroying them throughout the movie uh whether it's through grenades or through um throwing pesticide at them so i'm not saying that this is true in the real world that ants are better than humans but in this movie it's clear who the more benevolent species is yeah that's true james makes a an effort to communicate while uh, hubs makes a uh, effort to destroy and defeat and subjugate them, the ants, back down to their lower station. I think it's I think it's uh, I think it's fair to say that they want to invite James in because he is willing to uh, work with the ants, or at least try and understand the ants. They think that he's a, a, a capable partner in the new new world order. Yeah, oh, I, I, think, I think the ending is, is chewier in the the director's cut. It certainly feels more ominous because there's dark there's some darker imagery there. I think that the core it, message might be roughly the same. It's just such a good sequence and it's the kind of sequence that it's the kind of sequence that you would expect to be included in a Saul Bass movie. And so it wasn't when I when I uh, watched the movie originally I, I didn't feel like I didn't feel like there was anything missing from the movie. It did end abruptly. And it's a very short movie, but it, I, I felt like it was just as effective. But it felt like, huh? Okay, it's missing that Saul Bassness. And seeing it with that original ending intact doesn't change the impact of the movie. It doesn't. It's, it doesn't salvage a bad movie. I think essentially the movies, uh, both versions of the movie are equally effective. It just, it has a little bit something more to chew on and it has a little bit more visualization of craziness. And again, it's just, I love surrealism. I love impressionism. It's it's a fantastically created scene and I, I'm not surprised that Mr. Bass was 
uh, furious about the scene getting cut. Is there anything else that we didn't discuss? The only thing that I actually think we got through most of it. The only thing I have is a really dumb joke, which is... So this movie was made in the 70s, and the first part of the movie is that um, the scientists telling that older couple they need to be evicted, and then they eventually accidentally kill them with their pesticide goop. If this had been a movie that was made in the 80s, uh, there's no chance that the first thing they wouldn't have said to the, the dead old couple's corpses when they walked out and saw them was, you've been evicted. <laughs> this movie needed more uh, one-liners, you're right. Especially when the guy blows da- blows up the tower. Yeah, man. I, I, I really did enjoy this movie. I thought it was a fun one to chew on. And I, I mean, I totally wish that it had been released as the director intended back in the day. Because I could see this movie being something that at least intelligent audiences would walk out of and be like, okay, what the fuck was that? Let's figure out what it was. And I think that certain audience members might, you know, react poorly to it. But would those people have had the... The intellectual conversations about the evolution of humankind and our place on the earth and and whether or not, you know, can we run the earth with a fellow species? How would the humankind, uh, how would humankind deal with being uh, subjugated or at least lowered in our station from uh, another species? Like, I, I don't, the core sort of regular audience member would be frightened by the the ending and and just give up on it but i think that i think that if the movie were released nowadays to a more selective audience that it would be with the original ending it would do really really well the the interesting thing is and this might have been a screening that was members of the staff there and such but the the screening that they're filming the original ending in on youtube ends with people clapping before the credits even roll. People are just clapping at the craziness of the ending and the original ending and the, the, the ballsiness of it. Uh, and I, I really appreciate the fact that I don't entirely understand the ending, but the whole movie isn't, isn't impressionistic, crazy imagery. The whole movie is setting up characters and situations and letting us think about these situations. And then the last scene is, is something that's so much broader than us and you can't explain it in in a quick uh, exposition yeah it's interesting that this movie is um this is pre-eraser head so i think that ending it's not like there wasn't a bunch of surrealism anyways at the time but this movie kind of reminds me of a condensed version of uh mulholland drive where in a lot of ways you have a very very traditional narrative for the first i mean there's there's weirdness but it waits till the last half hour sequence and then blows everything up in this crazy way. And everyone kind of left the theater to that. I know I did going, holy shit, what was that? And kind of piecing it together and thinking about it over and over. I mean, I can't think of a movie that affected me so much. And I think part of it is, was that that movie played it very straight for such a long period of time before it went absolutely nuts. This movie, in the same sense, it plays it, plays it straight in its own bizarre universe. And then with that ending, gets fucking crazy. And I imagine audiences would have left that movie, like, I guess maybe the more apt comparison would be 2001 as well. People left 2001 going, well, that was insane. Yeah, This, this bears to- that same DNA. And can you imagine if 2001 or Mulholland Drive ended with, pri- it cut out all those, that sequences of nuts, uh, that those sequences of crazy surrealism? People would not be talking about those movies the same way that we do now. It doesn't mean they wouldn't have been good or interesting in their own way, 
but it would be missing a key component that no one would be able to place. And that's what happened here. I think that the length is less challenging because 2001, part of the, the biggest challenge to 2001 is the length. You don't notice as much in a the theater, but you notice at home. Mall and Drive, too. I mean, it's a two and a half hour movie. It's a long movie. Both of them are very long movies. But this movie, I feel like, is more challenging than 2001 in certain ways. I don't think the messages are as inspiring and, and, and huge as 2001, but it's more challenging in the sense that the final sequence throws everything out the window and doesn't even give you, like, a moment of pure hope like the end of 2001 does. Like, when you see a star child, you might not understand what is going on at a literal level because there's maybe nothing to be understood on a literal level. But when you see the Star Trial in 2001, you think, I don't know what the implications are, but this is the dawn of a new day for mankind, and I think it's going to be a good thing. So you can at least walk out of the theater feeling good after all the batshit insanity of like, the astronaut dying in bed and seeing himself dying in bed and all the surrealism of the white room and the monolith. Uh, after all that, you could probably end the movie and just be like, I don't know exactly what happened, but whatever. This movie, I feel like audiences would walk out with the crazy ending going, I either fucking hated it or what the fuck was happening. And producers don't like that kind of feedback from movies. They they clearly, yeah, they clearly didn't cut it for length, which is, (laughs) I mean, even with this sequence, it wouldn't be 90 minutes. This movie could have used a little bit more, I think, I think with a little bit, maybe this last sequence could have been broken out into sections and, you know, really dragged out. Um, or maybe we could have gotten more of a sense of the science going on behind the scenes and the communication. Like there could be, I, I could have seen this movie go on for another 40 minutes. 83 minutes well, is it, pretty damn short. Yeah, exactly. That's why, I mean, that's why I'm saying that they're, from a length perspective, there was no reason to trim this ending. It was, especially because it was already shot, it was already finished. It was just like, nope, but I don't I don't know how the final actual version is less confusing. It, just want to, to make the 2001 comparison again, if he started falling into the monolith and then it said, well, I felt I'm falling into the monolith. What this means, I don't know, but something strange is going to happen. I mean, that's essentially what they decided to end again. That wouldn't take away from the masterful sequences before that. And, I mean, the whole the whole movie's good. I would say 2001's the same. But it would be a very weird note to end it with a voiceover narration going, I don't know what's going to happen when I reach the bottom of this monolith, but I'll be changed. The it's end, true. 2001. That's essentially what happened here. So Yeah, that's true. Do you have any final thoughts on Phase 4? I, no, no, I, I, think, I don't I think, think the, so. I think I think we went through it all. Um, one of the interesting things about the movie like that, a movie like this, is that there's, you know, I kind of racked my brain for similar movies, and you know, besides a couple of the greatest of all time, I couldn't really think of any. So, doing this movie on the podcast was a little daunting because there's minimal reference points and the plot is fairly simple to follow. But I think this ended up being a very good choice, Peter. I think this was a fun choice. I think that it doesn't have the sort of salacious elements that we tend to grab onto. There's only really one on-screen death by the ants that I could describe as is truly thrilling and that's the hubs's death when he falls into the pit and all the ants are just pouring over him and that's pretty actually terrifying yeah um i mean it would be if i didn't see a much more effective scene in uh, a little movie called uh indiana jones and the crystal skull kingdom of the crystal <laughs> skull i actually forgot the name of the movie that's how little that movie has made an impression it had an impact on you yeah. God. Okay. So So let's uh, talk about what we're doing uh upcoming weeks because next week 
I'll let, I'll let you introduce next week, Peter. Because next week, I think, yeah, I think next week is going to be our first uh, battle episode where I haven't watched, I haven't rewatched Dark City yet, but Dark City is going to be our movie, and uh, I'm looking forward to revisiting that movie because that was a movie I very much hated, and it has a cult following behind it, so it's worth talking about, and Aaron very much liked. So I think we're uh, we're gonna have some fun with that because I think that may be the first episode where we, where we really diverge. And if we don't, we'll find episodes where we diverge in the future because uh, there's no way that we're this similar. It's yeah, we, actually we, impossible. We we know a couple movies, but we do tend to gravitate towards uh, a lot of the same movies, and that's why, especially Dark City, which is kind of um, one of those movies, has been so rediscovered by the by film fans from its original theatrical release. It's kind of amazing. And also, I should note, Peter, that every time we talk about this movie, your opinion of it gets worse. Because at first it was like, I like the design, but I just don't think, I, like, I wouldn't call it one of my favorites. And then I think when we talked about it last week, it was, yeah, I just don't really like the movie. And I, did you just preface this whole thing with, I think I fucking hate the movie and Aaron likes it? Like, I think I... Your opinion is getting worse the more we talk about it. So let's not talk about it anymore because I think pretty soon it's going to be like, I killed my family because this movie told me to. That's how bad it is. Um, but for anyone that's following along with us, um, we are going to do the theatrical cut uh, because even though I will concede that there are things to like more about the director's cut, it was the theatrical cut that I fell in love with. It was the theatrical cut that... You know, I watched 50 times. It's the reason I love the movie. So I feel like doing the director's cut is a little disingenuous to... I've only seen it once. I liked it just fine. But that that's not the movie that I placed on my, you know, top movie list. So thank you very much for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We're also available on Stitcher and TuneIn. You can also tag us if we're not on your uh, podcatcher of choice. We're hosted on SoundCloud if you'd like to listen there as well. Uh, your reviews and, and subscriptions on iTunes specifically really raise our ranking among the unaffiliated. So please tell your friends about us if you like what we're doing. Um, thank yeah, you and if your listening. city if your city has uh, loose graffiti laws, uh, you know, uh, don't don't write listen to our podcast in case we change it. But maybe write Aaron and Peter all over your town. Please do. So thank you so much for listening. I'm I have been. I will continue to be Aaron Armstrong. And I have and always will be Peter Moran. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night.